0: Hey everyone, it's Chad. Welcome back to Mission Daily. We have a giveaway for everyone that enters. You can win a prize at mission.org slash books. Steph, what can people win?
1: Books that you love. Do you want to read like a CEO? Chad has a bookshelf that probably has, I was actually calculating in my head how much you've probably spent on books because there's so many in our studio. I'd say there's probably 500 here.
0: So a fraction. This You don't even know about the hidden libraries oh, I have stored oh in my parents' garage.
1: Oh, I forgot about that. Well, anyways, it's called Read Like a CEO because we are taking books off of Chad's bookshelf and we are putting it in a giveaway.
0: Books are the best investment in yourself. And the reason why we wanted to do this giveaway, I recently started paying myself a salary. Yay. Woo. Woo And which is a major milestone. And I wanted to immediately give back to everyone out there that's listening that has helped us get where we're at. And it's really exciting. So this is my way of saying thank you to the listeners. So at mission.org books. Uh, I picked out a number of books from my bookshelf and the top 30 people who enter and you can see how to get more entries, all that stuff at mission.org books. Uh, but the top 30 people who enter get to pick one book from this list and I'll mail you a physical copy. I'll buy it. The next 15 get three books. So if you're in the top 15, you get three books from the list, your picks. And if you're in the top five, you get five books each. So this is pretty cool. And you can get more entries for every single email uh, subscriber you refer.
1: Yep. And stay tuned for the next little ad segment because we will tell you why Chad picked some of these books to get you excited.
0: And mission.org slash books, go there, enter. And everyone who enters is going to get a copy of 100 Business Ideas. That's an ebook we created with 100 ideas to start making more money. And yeah, maybe even start a business uh, this weekend.
1: Yep. So enter the giveaway and good luck. May the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) I knew
0: you were going to say that. (laughs) I'm Jeffrey Wright. And you're listening to mission daily selected as best of 2018 by Apple. Mission daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning.
1: Hello, and welcome to Mission Daily. This is producer Rachel Kanya. On today's episode, Chad sits down with Raul Gandhi, co-founder and CEO of MakeSpace, an on-demand storage option that is revolutionizing moving. Raul discusses the hard choices he has had to make while taking his company from startup to having a presence in 24 different cities, as well as how he managed to compete in a crowded and very traditional industry. Stay tuned for more from Raul Gandhi of MakeSpace.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Daily. Today's guest is Raul Gandhi. Raul, thanks for taking the time.
2: Hi, ah, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on.
0: I was excited when you responded for many different reasons, the first of which is the industry you're in. So to get super nerdy right off the bat, uh, I think that the storage industry is fascinating. I think that there is a ton of room for innovation and I will let you take the floor. But who are you? What do you do? And uh, what's your company?
2: yeah so um I love that you find storage interesting <laughs> it's 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 not the sexiest of spaces but it's it's really it's really one of those experiences and services that that are required in the world and one of the things that I learned the hard way it's life throws at you so many different moments, you know some are positive, where you have an extension of your family, a new child or some are negative where you have a death in the family and and really, space is always a big constraint, particularly when you're living in an urban environment. I had to go through that experience during Hurricane Sandy in uh, in 2012. I and you know ultimately, two of my co-founders all felt the real struggle of actually having to you know already have a stressful experience and then go out and find a way to be able to go find more space and. Um, and the only option that was really available to me at the time was to go to a storage facility and, and to kind of go through that entire experience of having to pack all my stuff up, get a car. I live here in New York. It's not the easiest things in the world, particularly when you have an event like that happen. Sure. And then as you're, um, as you're going through, you realize pretty quickly that, you know, it's one of those industries that has really relied on the customer to, to drive the entire experience. They haven't built it. And and the reason that's the case is because it's very much a real estate industry. So mm. when they think about storage, it's all about, I want to, you know, get a property that I think is going to increase in value over the next 20 or 30 years. On top of that, I'm going to build a storage service that I know customers are going to need when they're in tough situations and that has become a brilliant industry for almost five or six decades and, and really required no innovation. But you know the, the beauty of, of the way the world works um, is that when you get folks that are are savvy and, and really care about changing the world and, and changing the way people experience things, it, it forces you towards the drawing board. and And that's what happened to me. And so as I went through that experience, it was really trying to figure out how do you simplify all those pain points um, and that's where Makespace was born. And so you know our approach was to take a technology, uh, to build a technology platform that really allowed us to to take all the hardship in the current experience, where we had to go to a storage facility, where we had to actually go rent a car and pack all our stuff, where we had to buy boxes, and then act as operations or logistics experts by playing Tetris inside of this unit. And, and really trying to find a way to, to make make the everyday customer or user not have to worry about any of those things. And so our service is dead simple. It's, you know, you go through one of those moments, uh, you simply call us or you go online and we'll help you through that entire process. You tell us a little bit about what you want to store We have, you know, storage experts to sit on the other end of that, of that phone, or even if you do it online, we'll walk you through the whole process. We'll recommend a space for you. We'll come in, pick up all your stuff with professional movers, and then we'll take inventory of everything that you have. So what we've delivered now is instead of worrying about your stuff sitting in a storage facility, it sits in your pocket. And so what I mean by that is you just open up our app and you can bring things back as you want them. Now, the kicker in all of this is because we're creating an innovation in the industry we've simply utilized warehouse spaces that don't sit right directly in the city like the traditional market Mm -hmm. where they have to be very close to you uh, in order to have you come into the facility and put your stuff in We, we we you know look very much like amazon in the back end we'll have racks set up we'll take your stuff and place it inside of our facility and keep it safe and when you want things back and forth, you know, we'll, we'll be able to coordinate all that through through a push of a button. Now, since we're sitting outside the city, we do it at a, at a fraction of the cost because the cost basis for us with that real estate is so much lower than having to operate it in a city. And so you yeah, as a customer at the end of the day, get to experience this full ballet experience and, you know, see your space on your phone. And you do it at a fraction of the cost. So it's almost cheaper than i to go to the storage facility.
0: And I was thinking as you're saying that, so I'm definitely going to check out the service and use it next time we need to store anything because I'm thinking about the costs in my head. And the second you say taking an inventory prior to moving stuff, I'm like, why does the storage industry not? why are they not doing that? That seems like such a logical first step that you're going to save tons of money. You're going to save tons of headache. You don't have to argue about like insurance claims or anything. Then if you take a really good inventory before anything happens, um, I think about all the times that we've moved when we've used pods or, you know, whatever the case is, or other movers. And it really should start with a great inventory.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it went back, you know, again, every everything and element of the service really goes back to our own personal experiences and, you know, when I had gone through storage in Hurricane Sand during Hurricane Sandy, and I have twin daughters, they're one, they were one at the time. And it was, it was such an enormously stressful experience of getting everything into that unit. And I wasn't, you know, even thinking about marking all the boxes or definitely not taking pictures. So the first idea that we thought of was, hey, what if you just knew, just like you had a digital file on Box or Dropbox or any other service that you use, you can see it and interact with it. I mean, there's no no reason you can't just do that with your physical stuff. And that small innovation really turned out to be so big for us because one of the things that customers care about is the safety of their stuff. And, you know, not having to go go over to the storage facility and go and see it directly, but just opening up your phone and seeing what you've stored gives you enormous security and value. Right. And, um, and we didn't know that at the time. And so that's one of those things where, you know, it was just solving an issue that we faced that we we knew just anecdotally other people were facing too and, and using that as an innovation in the industry and turned out to be one of the biggest ones for us.
0: So tell me a little bit about all of the different processes that you've done yourself in building this business. So in the prep call, we talked a little bit about how you are the one that's like, you're picking up stuff, you're moving stuff, you're learning like every single small part of the process in order to master it and build the systems that are going to you know help you guys continue to scale. Tell, tell me about that. What type of stuff have you been doing in the trenches?
2: You know, um... Had you told me I was a star, such a starry eyed entrepreneur when we got off the ground (laughs) and, uh, had I known the enormous challenge we were trying to solve, I probably would have been a little more worried about it when we got the business uh, started, but that's the beauty of, of startups, right? That's the beauty of taking the challenges that people like myself take. And what I didn't know, what I knew at the time was, Hey, there's this really broken experience and I feel it even more strongly today that the industry, the incumbents were asleep at the wheel and weren't thinking about where the world was headed. Um, and what I mean by that is you saw Uber and Lyft and, you know, obviously Lyft went public today and, and you saw all these great platforms just, just, just disrupting old school industries. And it was all based on this convenience element that you could see that people in cities really, 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 um, craved at the time. And it continues to happen today. And For me, it just was such a strong conviction and belief that, you know, something like this had to be easier and simpler if we wanted to get, we wanted to really get a mass audience to be able to use it just like we did at the time. And I didn't understand that there was a huge operational logistics component to it. Because when you look at the face of the business, you're like, oh, you're moving stuff around. But hey, we've got warehouses that we need to run. And so there's a real estate element to it. Then Oh, you know, we've got to figure out where to place these boxes inside of the warehouse. Now we got to really become logistics experts and understand all of these different, different racking configurations, which I had no experience around when we started. Right. And then you've got this enormous challenge on the marketing and technology side, which is, you know, you've got an old school industry that has never believed in in using technology or building brands. Um, and I say the brand piece of it, because if you look at the traditional industry today in storage, you know, they all look the same. Right. I always say this exercise, like you print out every logo that's a massive public company in the storage industry today, and it's really hard to tell them apart. Yeah. They sell themselves the same. And so if you're going to disrupt that and actually create a brand that resonates with people, you know, that's an enormous challenge to go out against a group of of, of incumbent players that, you know, are in a massive industry that have enormous amount of money to throw against it. And so we we had all these challenges that we were just unaware of. And, you know, my background, uh, a little bit more about my story, you know, I came from an immigrant family, like my dad, to this day claims he came to the United, United States with $30 in his pocket and started his career. And he was an entrepreneur. And he started his you know, his, his way into really living out his American dream was through the restaurant industry. And I'd always seen amazing struggles. And I mean, it's a low margin business. It's a lot of competition and, you know, it'd be one day where we would feel a lot of success and I'd, you know, walk home and there'd be 10 Nintendo games sitting there for me. That's how old I am. I'm giving away my, uh, my age at this point, but you know, the, the next couple months, you know, we're sitting down talking to lawyers trying to figure out like, how do we stay afloat and keep our house? And, it's really, really hard to get a business off the ground. And for me, it was, it was, it was an, I saw that conviction around this opportunity and it didn't matter what the challenges were, but yes, really important question about when you get into the trenches and there's a simple conversation that when we, when we decided we were going to do the business um, I teamed up with two co-founders who, who I knew here in New York, you know, one was a serial entrepreneur, both are not with the business anymore and we can get into more about that um, as we go through this. But we had this vision of this idea and to get it off the ground, it was, it was enormously challenging to just take this idea and go to investors and say, Hey, why don't you back these three aspiring entrepreneurs that that, that really want to disrupt a massive industry? Um, and give us money to go figure out all of these challenges that we, we didn't even know of at the time around marketing, technology, logistics, and real estate. And, and we, we struggled in that process. Eventually, we did get people that, that gave us uh, capital to get off the ground because it was such an enormous industry and opportunity. But even ourselves, once we raised that capital, you know, we looked at each other in the face and said, how do we actually do this? And I remember vividly, um, my co-founder, Sam, he said that, do we need to rent a vehicle? Do we need to lease a truck? Like, how do we think about the warehouse spaces? Like we had this, we had this on paper, but putting it into real life just seemed like a crazy challenge and we didn't want to fail desperately afraid of failing. It's, I, 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 always say it's one of my superpowers. It's almost one of my biggest weaknesses too, but you know, it's been enormously helpful for this business. And we were looking around the streets of Manhattan and we said, Hey, who's what kind of trucks are people driving because we have all these narrow lanes and obviously in order to get this business off the ground we need to go to people's locations we've never run a fleet before we've never even had a driver we've never been drivers we need to figure out how we can park a truck like we can't just drive these big 53 foot trucks that we're used to around the streets and we saw sprinter vans around Hmm. we were like well Those look like they're pretty interesting. And there were like, you know, bakeries and things like that were using them. You saw a lot of mom and pop's shops that, you know, had their logos on the trucks, but you could see like they could actually maneuver around pretty well. And all we noticed was there was a Mercedes symbol on one of them. So we actually went to a Mercedes dealership and had to convince ourselves. We were like, are we really gonna go lease a vehicle or rent a vehicle or buy a vehicle right now? And we're sitting in a Mercedes dealership in midtown Manhattan and it all became real. And, you know, Sam had asked me the question, he goes, maybe we should hold off for, for a little bit until we figure out the business. And, and my, my view was, look, if you're going to try to do this, it's you either go all in or you don't. And we all, we both signed personal guarantees to get our first vehicle. He drove it another, for a week feeling. Yeah, I mean you just you, you put you got to put everything on like yeah. and and and, and it, it, you know the story gets even more more actually crazier because I just you know I prior to to starting this business I graduated from business school so I was starry-eyed MBA graduate with uh, you know not having any idea that I was going to end up becoming our first van driver for the next two you know for the first two years of getting this business off the ground on top of that, putting a personal guarantee on a vehicle that was, you know, 50 plus thousand dollars when we had less than $300,000 in the bank and weren't even paying ourselves. Like that's the reality uh, of what you face as an entrepreneur. Um, But we looked at each other and, and we, you know, at that moment we decided like, we're all in. Mm -hmm. And if if this was going to be a big business, we had to take those chances and you never can get to, being that until you actually put a lot of risk on the table. And, and that was our moment for risk. And, um, you know, I look back fondly to that day because what I learned after that fact was one, Sam was a terrible man driver because literally we, we we released that man with personal guarantees and a week into it, he got into an accident. So I was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs)
0: And
2: and you know, we, we continue to laugh about that story today but I ended up just raising my hand and saying, you know, we sat around a room, you know, Sam was a brilliant salesman. We had a a great young engineer who was able to build the first wave of the website. And it was on me at that point to go go out and and really go build the service from the ground up. Um, And so I drove that van and I did for, you know, I call it a year and a half. I did the first 200 appointments. I worked 15 hours a day, five days a week, just learning the business and learning the trade of, of being a a transportation expert and how you get through the city, how do you figure out traffic? Um, And I, and I say all that story because it became so important to us at the end of the day and where the technology piece comes in is that we, we, we realized very quickly we couldn't do this without tech. And that meant that we had to really figure out routing systems. We had to build an entire platform that not only you know could help us understand where items were all throughout the process of where we went to the customer location all throughout the customer journey but even when it sat in a warehouse you know our challenge was was very different from a traditional e-commerce business where you're trying to sell inventory that goes off a shelf and what we're doing is taking a large amount of volume of stuff that people are storing with us and trying to figure out where to keep it in the warehouse.
1: Mm.
2: And that's reverse logistics. And we didn't find anything out there that really was capable of helping us be able to solve that problem. And most most of the audience probably doesn't know what reverse logistics is, but if you're an e-commerce company, think about it as the returns problem. It's like you buy a shirt or you buy, you know, something off Amazon, you send it back that's not the way their business is built. Like they got to figure out where to put it. But for us, that's in our entire business. Cause you know, once you put it in our system, it's typically really hard for you to get it back out because you know, you're using storage for a reason. Yeah. And so we had to build really complicated technology to help us, with all these things in order to be able to do it at a cost that made sense for the business.
0: Not a lot of content out there. Not a lot of books being written about it. Amazon doesn't exactly uh, open the kimono and show you how they're thinking about logistics and everything. So uh, you guys are basically out there blazing a trail, right? And solving this problem for the first time.
2: Exactly. There was no book, framework, blog post, or anything that I could read out there. I mean, the only way we got this business off the ground was you know uh, as i like to say it was just like flipping the burgers ourselves like we yeah. we we really had to go out there and do it and understand all those pain points that not only existed for the customer but existed for us as a business to be able to deliver that experience to the customer and and it, we learned very quickly that without really sophisticated and challenging technology uh, we could never do it yeah and so that was that was a big first step in the journey and really you know it was a big transition for me in my career and life too, because everything was just you know learning on the fly and taking chances and knowing that we'd be wrong more than we were right, but being able to you know withstand those those mistakes and and being able to raise money, right? Being able to raise money to have the resources to be able to continue to innovate on that. And for us, you know, as the business at the time, we were able to attract a large amount of uh, technology venture capitalists, mostly because of that technology that we realized we had to build to deliver this service at a large scale. And so, you know, we spent a lot of resources really fine tuning that and and eventually were able to, you know, launch the service uh, in in four cities uh, up until a major announcement we had uh, about a week ago, which I'll go through with you uh, shortly as well. But, you know, we, we were able to over over a six year period, really get into four cities and dig our heels deep and, and build this business in, in, into a place where we could eventually give it to as many people as possible. In order to do that, you go through so many ups and downs of your business because you got to first build the engine, then you got to make sure that the engine can actually uh, make money, right? Because ultimately. Your business is only sustainable if you've got a, a business model that works, and then you've got to you know scale it in, in a really really fast way and um, in order to take advantage of the opportunity and It took us you know about six years to finally get to that inflection point it's a lot of ups and downs
0: and with all the ups and downs along the way, one of the most important pieces of this puzzle is you know your psychological mastery and the fact that you are in the trenches and feeling the pain of going through this process in a manual way where you know it's not going to scale. If you don't get the technological solution right, you know what you're doing is not going to scale. So that's a lot of pressure right there. And when you combine that with all of the family pressures, you know, being, uh, I don't know if you were a father at the time, but, you know, you're probably thinking, you and your wife are thinking about kids and everything. So how are you balancing all that? And how do you think about mastering your psychology and your mindset? Because that's, at the end of the day, it's one of the most important things, right?
2: When I when I first took the step of becoming an entrepreneur fully, and you can argue that when I was younger, like I almost was, because I saw my dad go through so many ups and downs as an entrepreneur himself, I, I really I really ran away from that when I uh, when I graduated school because I was so tired of the uh, not having stability in my life, and being an entrepreneur is all about stability and. Is this all about instability, right? Like you have, sure, to be, sure. you have to be so, so in tune with the risks that you're taking. I ran away from, from it as much as possible. And my first job out of school was, um, was working at an investment bank. And I pretty quickly realized, and look, I mean, I, I, I came from a, a traditional uh, south asian background and so it was instilled in me that your success is even though my dad was an entrepreneur his dreams were of me becoming a doctor and, and and something like that and and i, and I kind of chased that for him for a long time once once i got into the workforce it became pretty clear that it was a full circle back to what i was you know doing today and the psychology part of it really comes down to that one moment um when i had my kids and you know, I, I don't tell this story very often, but my both my daughters were born uh, incredibly premature and been given a, a very very uh, low chance of survival. And believe it or not, they were born at 24 weeks, so they were both about a one pound each when they were born. And I, I still remember to this day when when my um, wife at the time, now divorced, but um, had gone through gone through preterm labor. And, uh, you know, we had to really make I had to make some critical decisions when I got to the hospital of do you want to focus on trying to have your kids who who likely at this stage at 24 weeks, there's like a low chance of them being normal, like all these risks of cerebral palsy and things like that, that really, that really come out when when you don't have when your child is born that early, those were all real for us. But my wife was also very sick at the time. And so uh, you know, the focus was whether it was on her or whether we would try to keep the kids and having to make a critical decision like that with her at the time where, where we ultimately focused on trying to have the kids uh, was the hardest decision I ever had to make in my life. And ultimately, both my daughters were born. Uh, they spent six months in the hospital. My wife was fine. Uh, everything worked out, but it it may not have. And it was just down to that one critical moment where a doctor said, what do you want to do? And I tell that story because, you know, when you're in those moments and you put everything on the line, you know, when you walk out of them, you know, that decision may not work in your favor and it may, you may lose everything. And and when you're an entrepreneur, you got to make those decisions every day. And so, if you're too afraid to take those risks, which I think most people are who don't ultimately become entrepreneurs, you don't actually take the step to do it and so when you ask the question of like how do i psychology psychology wise like how did I get myself to to overs- get over the hurdles of seeing the struggles that my father had, get over the hurdles of that stability that I chased for so long it was you know those critical life moments again that it comes down to it felt real to me where The first time, you know, you could lose everything when you gamble. And that's what startups are about. Like, you can't be afraid of making really, really key decisions. And that's exactly what's happened to me every step of the way in my journey with MakeSpace. And and the credit goes back to, you know, walking out of that situation where after six months in the hospital, I see how great my daughters were doing. And it just showed that for me, my calling was going to be an entrepreneur. I had to take that shot. And they inspired me to, to go out and really, when I found the opportunity that I had amazing conviction around, which was make space in storage, um, there was really nothing that could derail that. And it was such a natural decision for me to, to go into it. Now, it still goes back that I was starry eyed and didn't realize how complicated this business specifically was to get off the ground. But I think that's what created the opportunity for us to, to be able to differentiate ourselves because we have to be successful in so many different places. It's not just a normal technology company. You've got the technology, you've got marketing, you've got real estate, you've got logistics, you've got two different labor forces that you're really trying to work with and trying to mesh at the same time. And you're learning an enormous amount as you're going through it. And each day you're making critical decisions that could, you know, quote unquote, sink your company. Not many people or businesses can go through those challenges. And that's, that's been an enormous opportunity for us because that's, I think what has allowed us to separate from, from many of the newer, you know, newer entrants that have tried to solve the problem that we have
0: now. Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, the personal stories that, that means a lot and I'm glad that they're both healthy and, um, that's a lot of weight to carry with you, and I, I think that like we can all we can hear that story, but until you go through something similar, it's just tough. It's it's a whole nother thing, and I like sharing those stories so much because as business owners, sometimes or CEOs of venture backed companies, it's really tempting to not share the struggle or share the really really hard stuff like that. But you have to, I think, to keep it in perspective and figure stuff out. So let's shift gears a little bit to. What I think is really exciting about Makespace, which is you guys have a pretty substantial head start and you're, you've solved these problems. I think that as you're going, you're basically building a moat. Would you agree? And, and how are you thinking about building uh, a moat for Makespace?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there was a. There's a couple challenges um, that you know we, we took real risks on when we got the business off the ground that became really important for us as we got as we got to the stage where we are now. And one was you know investing a large amount of resources and technology and being able to go out and and be lucky enough to have the support of amazing amazing technology VCS who saw the bigger opportunity even though didn't it wasn't necessarily in an industry that, you know, they were they were typically attuned to investing in. And so that was a, a huge factor for us. But spending, you know, north of six years developing the systems that we've developed, uh, it's not easy for any new player or even the incumbents to to come in and try to replicate that there's just so much experience and um, heartache and Mistakes and corrections and things like that that you happen to do over, over the course of, of our lifetime that play out in that technology piece, and then over the time you become really really good at figuring out who's a good fit for the challenges that you are trying to solve. And I think one of the one of the things that we became very good at was figuring out the right team and investing a lot of time and resources into and into and bringing in the right folks with the right experience, particularly around marketing and tech and, you know, even around around logistics, et cetera, to help us differentiate ourselves from, you know, the everyday person who wants to come up and and think that they can, you know, sort of do this at scale right out of the gates. And then finally, you know, it was to to be honest with ourselves. It was, we've raised a hundred million dollars, over a hundred million dollars for this business to date. And understanding that just because you have a lot of capital, it doesn't mean that you that, that, you know, the business that we're trying to build was easy to build. Mm -hmm. It goes back again to the beginning when I said, how much were we trying to solve where we wanted to build this massive brand in this old school industry. We wanted to apply technology to it. We wanted to then go out and rent and lease warehouses or buy warehouses and then figure out how to, you know, optimize things within these warehouses on the logistics side and, you know, it really became a soul search for me and and going out to market and find figuring out, like, instead of going out to continue to raise large amounts of dollars, like, is there a partner out there that could help us with all that? Help us with the stuff that, you know, we weren't necessarily experts in and real estate and logistics fall squarely into that. And so last week, I was thrilled because we've been working on it for for a long time. And much of this is all about relationships we announced a really great partnership with a company called iron mountain and iron mountain. If most people don't know is, you know, is basically the biggest player in, in document storage and working with many of the fortune 500 companies. I mean, they, they store for folks like lady Gaga and Bill Gates, like he, you know, folks like that who, who really are thinking about, putting in very high value items and um, really trusting a corporate level service to be able to deliver that experience. And as we were looking at the next phases of their business and sort of what we were trying to do at MakeSpace and, and, and really bring it to scale, what became apparent was they had already over decades and we're talking seven decades built this entire footprint of warehouses mm. that looked and felt like the ones we were trying to build. And they had logistics experts that we were trying to recruit and so much of what they'd invested in that they'd already built that, you know, had driven the trust of many of the biggest companies that we know today. It didn't seem logical for us to go try to rebuild that. And there seemed so much power could, could really be unlocked if you could take the technology we're so proud of and started to, to really, you know, leverage that footprint, And they agreed. And so, you know, to see like that marriage come together where, you know, we formed a a partnership and they recently invested in the business and allowed us to take the service that we're so proud of, put it in as many people's hands as it can possibly get into. And it's again, coming back to my, my initial experience in those life moments. And, you know, I had Hurricane Sandy that hit, there's positive moments and negative moments. And now, where for the last six years I've really built a presence in with my team in, in four markets. Um, you know, overnight we had this opportunity to now bring this service to twenty more markets. And you're always looking as an entrepreneur for that ability to scale. And you know, you search for things that people call product market fit, like will people actually use your service? Will they pay for your service? What that all looks like when you're so confident. About what you've built, and you understand how much more you have to do in order to be able to scale that and give it to so many people. When you get an opportunity to be able to bring in a strategic partner that can help you do that overnight, it's it's almost like I got to pinch myself before I go to bed (laughs) to be like, "Is this real? Uh, You know, how do we do this so fast?" And all of a sudden, you know, that dream and vision that we set out to aspire to, really, when we started the business, which was at the time, like really just how do we give this to as many people as possible and make space so much more accessible for the everyday person? You know, it's even beyond that. And it's saying you everyday person, just like me who had a, had a hard challenge that I had to go through and needed space. Well, why don't you deserve having the same security and reliability that a big corporation has or that celebrities use today? You're worth it. And I'm going to give that to you at a cost that you can afford. And I'm going to be able to give it to you at a scale now in many markets that can address all these issues for many, many people at the same time. And you can't dream up of a scenario like that. And so I feel blessed all along the way. We've had so many ups and downs, so many critical moments that got us to this phase. And ultimately, it all, it all led to this opportunity that now positions us as as a huge, huge player in the storage industry, but more importantly, you know, really drives our mission forward to give this experience and simplify, you know, what usually causes stress to as many people as we possibly can. And that's just a start. And I think the next angle is how do we solve it on the international scope? And all of these things are now very clear and at play and at a much quicker timeframe than I could have ever thought.
0: Congratulations. That's really cool hearing about that partnership because it's easy to look at a company on the outside like Iron Mountain or whoever that you want to partner with as a CEO, as a founder and say, well, how would we ever partner? You know, Maybe they're way beyond where we're at. But the reality was the execs at Iron Mountain, and I don't want to speak for them, but they're probably the ops team and folks like that. They're probably thinking like, okay, we've got these great warehouses. We have all this infrastructure. How can we get it to 100% utilized? How, how can we find somebody to partner with? Um, so you, ne- you never know what those companies out there who they need to partner with. So what a great partnership and uh, yeah, that's really exciting to think about. So 20 markets now or, or how many different cities are, are you all in? So we're in
2: 24 markets now. We wow. added 20 on top of the four that we were in, we're still in. And key markets like San Francisco, Seattle, San Diego, Boston, Philadelphia, even our first international market in Canada, Toronto, we've got markets all over now. and, and, the real difference in what enabled us to do that versus, you know, anyone else out there that might want to get started and try to do this at that scale. Again, it goes down to the technology. And so we were able to literally insert this amazing tech system that we built and do it at the scale of 24 markets overnight because we'd always been thinking about that scalability. Now doing it on our own, would mean that we'd have to go out and find warehouse space. We'd have to go out and rent trucks. We'd have to go out and, you know, sort of do all of the physical stuff that required us to be able to utilize that tech. But if that infrastructure is already there, then it really tests the scalability of, of the platform that you build. And, and that's what we always had conviction in, right? We knew we, we, we could nail that piece. It was how, how do we do the other piece and we do it? How do we do that fast? the real estate challenge and the logistics challenge isn't simple and requires a lot of money. And to be able to have someone who, this is their bread and butter, come and say that one, we believe in your technology, right? Because you had to do that in order for this partnership to work. Sure. And number two, we believe this industry needs to be disrupted and we believe together we can do that. And, and that's ultimately what happened. And so, you know, we, we've got enormous amount of work to do in order to make sure that people understand service like this is available to them. But, you know, I'm, I'm based on what we've gone through as a team. Like that's a challenge we're, we've been waiting for. So yeah, we're, we're really, really lucky. We're really excited. We are uh, probably more passionate than ever. As I could say, you know, at this business to be able to take it to to the next level and, you know, bring quite frankly more innovation into the industry that that deserves it. And so uh, it's a really exciting time here internally
0: for anyone that's thinking about joining jobs page, where's the best page for people to uh, look at opportunities and stuff like that?
2: Yeah. So just go to makespace.com. We've got a careers page up there. Feel free to apply to all the open positions. Feel free to reach out. We've got a great recruiting team on board. They're always uh, very passionate about really caring about people that apply and looking at their backgrounds and it's all more than just even a cover letter. We do take the time to talk to people and understand that cultural fit, right? Because our mission is so is so deeply rooted in, into everyone that works here that everybody believes that, you know, this service can have an impact on people in so many different ways that that's really what we try to suss out. And, and we built a team that, you know, I can say credibly challenges me almost every day. Like it's funny when you first start the business – when you first start a business, you're, you are the smartest person in the room. Cause usually you're the only person in the room. And you know, as it goes along, my, my vision has always been, Hey, I got to find people way smarter than me at all of these different things that we're trying to solve. And at some point I don't want to be even close to the smartest person in the room and I want to learn from everyone around me. And I think we've done an incredible job of, of being able to do that up to this point. So it, the environment that we've created has been, has been something that people really love here. So, But you go on the career page and, and you'll find every opportunity that we have because we have it blasted all over there.
0: Cool, yeah, go check that out. And I would love to talk a little bit about marketing and how you're thinking about demand generation and what is the state of consumer knowledge and where do you see that landscape For you as a company,
2: yeah. So it's um, it's interesting. There's this industry is a forty billion dollar industry. You know, the top eight players maybe own ten percent of the market. Uh, And the reason I say all that is because traditionally, brand and normal marketing channels that you think of haven't really mattered because it's all been about the real estate. And if you open up a storage facility that sits near the customer, you just have that that advantage of the customer seeing your facility and that's what's been drawing them to, to your business in the past. And what we've seen, which has been a, you know, a real thesis in our business is that it's incredibly hard to, to be able to open up uh, storage units within cities. And as you look at what's happening in cities, you've got more and more people moving into cities. You've got large, a lot of, a lot of people moving into smaller spaces. You've got, things that are getting more expensive. And right now, most of these cities, are that, that we're, that it's particularly here in the U.S., are focused on issues like traffic concerns, et cetera. But what happens when, you know, you have all these people that have come in, you've still got waste management, storage, other real services that need to be met? And if you already have space that's tight, how do you open up storage units? Right, These are facilities that don't create jobs there's one person working behind a desk, and it's sitting in the confines of a city that's trying to attract really great tenants to come in and That could be used for other things like parks. It could be used for restaurants you know it could be used for so many other things that that are more tuned with what a resident would look for when they pick a city as opposed to you know building a storage facility. And so storage, the traditional incumbents have felt that pain and they haven't been able to open up many facilities close to the customer, particularly in the urban environments. And that's, and that's really important because for us, that's where we come in. We don't actually have that real estate that sits inside of a city. It sits outside in an industrial park. And our challenge is really to let as many people know within a city that this service exists. And so the ways we do it are not the traditional ways that the incumbents have looked at it. It's more, you know, there's an online element to it. So when you search for storage or you have something happen, we want MakeSpace to be the first thing that comes up for you. And so, you know, for traditional technology marketers having an SEO presence or having a team that's focused on the SEM side that can go out and understand what keywords to buy clicks against and really how to allocate your dollars effectively online. And then there's this whole brand component, which is, you know, how do you let people know in this localized effort when you're in a city that your service exists and what it does? And I think, Simple things for us, like even our name, just lend well to to tell you what we do. And we do large-scale offline advertising through billboards, through Subway campaigns that we've run, or even direct mailers that we send out. Uh, that have been really huge for us as a business to be able to get our name out there, really in a dense population, in particular buildings that we know have this issue of of finding storage because there aren't facilities that are close by. And then now that you look at our opportunity on a much larger scale, this is where it gets exciting. Because when we were in four markets, we're thinking about all of these local, hyper-local channels that are super challenging. But when you're in 24... Think about the enormous opportunity of new media outlets that you can hit and television is real, you know, radio ads and all of these other major publications or media paths that we wouldn't have been able to access before are now in clear view of, of, of how we're going to, you know, move our business forward. And so. That's what we're really focused on now is, is making sure that, you know, we can capitalize on those channels and, and dedicating the resources that we have raised to be able to allow people in a much larger scale to be able to understand what our service does.
0: How are you thinking about, you know, you're building a team, your office is in New York. How are you thinking about expanding your offices? I don't know how many you have, but are you thinking about other markets now? Or are you just focused on those 24? Where's your head at there?
2: Yeah, so I, you know, I it's it's amazing cuz I've I've seen our strategic partner who, you know, is a major public company, they work incredibly well off dispersed teams. Some of the team members that I work with there are based in Toronto while others are in Mexico City or some are in Charlotte or some are in their headquarters in Boston and I'm becoming less of a believer that you as if you if your business is if you have conviction that it's going to be a large business, I think you need to really take advantage of bringing in talent all across the country, whether you have offices or not. And I think the the beauty of us being in 24 markets means that we have a presence in 24 markets that, allows, sure. that makes it even easier for us to be able to set up offices in all of those locations. But we're all traveling, right? right. We're all in different locations all the time anyway. And for us, it's, it's not just about having someone here in headquarters in New York where some positions you truly need that because there, there is the element of being able to go talk to the engineering team if you're on the product side or on the marketing side and you can go coordinate and kind of get things done right away. Whereas having to get on the phone, if you're based in Phoenix, Arizona, for example, and trying to get it done may just cause some, some issues and elements in and of itself. But I think I think for us like we're we're open to recruiting talent anywhere in the country and and really taking that take, taking that guidance that we've seen from from the strategic partner that we work with and know that it can work at larger scale uh, our recruiting efforts will go will go across the country now some of the areas that we're we're certainly going to be doubling down um we have an engineering team based in Toronto uh, we have operations in Toronto. And so we're going we're to certainly be looking at adding more engineers um, up in Canada as well. We've seen a lot of success there. We'll look at other markets that tend to be, you know, tend to be attractive from, from engineering resources and marketing resources across the country and may open up, you know, smaller offices along those lines. But uh, for us, you know, whether there's an office or not, we, we think that there's an enormous opportunity to be able to allow more people to be part of the family.
0: That's uh yeah, that is super exciting. And uh remote teams, man, it's uh team members that can function and succeed in remote work are they're like as a CEO and as a founder, you just are so thankful for these people that you know can operate out in the wilderness and with like a, a small group basically. It's just it is a a godsend for sure. So how are you thinking about investors or how have you thought about investors in the past? How have you gone about choosing capital partners? Whether they're venture capitalists or in the case of Iron Mountain, you know, like corporate VCs or whatever the case is there, how are you thinking about it?
2: Most people, when they start a business, don't realize the implications of raising capital. And if there's ever anything that you can equate to a marriage, it's this, right? And you, you need to find the right partner, regardless of the capital they provide, that are with you through the ups and downs. Because I don't think, you know, outside of the few that you probably read in the press, I don't think anyone has a straight journey to becoming a massive business. You know, you're always going to have some hiccup that that hits that you didn't predict. And that's that's where it comes down to where your risk capacity as an entrepreneur and the experiences that you've had in your life that allow you to make decisions become hugely important and for me I didn't appreciate all that when we were raising capital I came you know I I spent time as a venture capitalist here in New York and and invested dollars and didn't really uh, you know as I look at it now was was probably a, a very low value added board member because you know I just didn't have those experiences that I needed but I had, a, I had a great network with technology VCs along with my co-founders and it just lent well to what we were trying to solve at the time, but we got really, really lucky. And, you know, the investors that we that we were able to team up with at the start believed in the vision, had a lot of conviction in, in the industry and the opportunity, but more importantly, like really believed in us. And as we went through ups and downs, stood by us every step of the way, uh, you know, all the way through our first investor who quite frankly wrote our 100K angel check that got us off the ground and even invested in our last round. I And that's, you know, a firm called Upfront Ventures that's really, and Mark Suster specifically, who, who really helped, you know, get the business off the ground in, in believing in us and continued that path all along the way. And I think you got to, you got to as, as, as an entrepreneur, make sure that that relationship is built. And, there's no easy way to do that. It's by spending time together. It's by a
0: long time before you need the money.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. and it's it's about understanding conviction around the idea together. It's about knowing what challenges you're walking into with the business together, and and having a, having a trust on both sides, right? Like we're the management team. We're we're on the ground. We're making hard decisions and dealing with tough topics every day. Where where is the boundary of helping us through that and also giving us the strategic pushback when it's required and having that board structure that can challenge you. And we wouldn't be here today had we not had that instilled in us really early on. And I think, you know, you asked the question about corporate, that same thinking stood, stood with me all along the way. And, and like I said, I got lucky that we found a really great group of investors that believed in us and it wasn't just upfront, you know, firms like ABC, Kimmy Scottie, Joe Lonsdale, folks like that, that really took a chance on us. They they kind of paved the path of eventually who you want to have around the table when you continue to add on to the marriage that you've already created. And for me, Iron Mountain wasn't like a conversation that just happened overnight. This is, you know, a company that we've been on off and on with for uh, over the course of four years. And it's a company that, you know, we've seen on the side, uh, you know, from our vantage point, not from the sidelines, right from the right, right in the thick of things. Sure. Um, seeing them really have conviction around the space because they tried to attack the space and being able to understand their thinking and, and how they viewed competitors and the time that they spent with us. You just saw the power of, you know, one, when you have such an aligned vision of how you can deliver an experience and capitalize on an industry, it makes the conversation easier. But when when you see the culture matches of both organizations over the course of just spending so much time together, those risks of what happens if we hit some roadblock uh, aren't as much of a concern because you know, it's going to happen and it's how is everyone going to react around the table when that happens and is everyone going to support the business or is it going to be a struggle to get the business to the next milestone? And, that's, that's something that is really hard to suss out. I mean, like I said, if I could say there's one thing we were lucky with, it was that, that, that we, you know, kind of fell into having a good group around us for that, that could provide us that, that guidance. And we weren't always right, but certainly, you know, we were wrong many times, but they never wavered in their support and always believed in the grander vision. And, you know, we've gone through, I've lost both of my co-founders from the business and it's all on great terms and we're all friends and they're both involved as much as they want to be. But having to go through all those cycles inside of a business and having large scale investor support, it's the only way you can survive. So advice to folks that want to go out and raise capital, just don't, don't go out to just raise capital. Like it's not an award, right? This is a requirement to scale your business. And, Whoever you're raising from, you you really need to believe that they're in the battle with you, and, and they're going to be with you through through all the ups and downs. And that's how I've always evaluated it. Again, I got lucky because we we saw firsthand what a good system looked like. But you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs who are interested in you know what my experience was like raising the amount of capital that we have, and now partnering with with a strategic company as bringing them in as a minority shareholder, but more importantly, you know, a big strategic play on top of it. I always say it's a marriage.
0: So those are wise words, by the way, I think that anybody that's thinking about raising capital should go back, take a listen because that's uh powerful stuff. So final thought and challenge here that I would love to ask you is how are you thinking about your own learning? How are you thinking about where you're getting your information from and what CEOs or execs or leaders or VCs in the space? do you find yourself learning the most from? Uh, Is there anyone out there that you feel like is a mentor or a role model? Who are you learning from?
2: It's a great question. You know, it's, the job has changed so much for me. It's something I love. The challenge that you constantly have of being able to test different skills. And what I mean by that is when we first started, I told the story of being the first, our first van driver and really being on the ground ground floor of getting this business uh, up and running, that presented enormous challenges because I spent my career in banking and corporates and as a venture capitalist and then went to business school. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting there and, and learning a different trade completely. That that was such a growing moment for me. You know, simple things of challenges like knowing where I could drive in the city and getting tickets and having to go to court because I didn't know that I couldn't drive in certain areas. Like those were, uh, those were, those were really humbling moments because you realize that everyday work can be very challenging. And then, you know, you go from that point to all of a sudden you're not the first van driver. Like you've got a handful of van drivers that now trust you with your vision and believe in you. And, you know, you've got to make sure that they have paychecks. You've got to make sure that, They're able to go deliver and have the resources and tools to be able to, you know, do this to customers and build your business. And then you get to other milestones and eventually to the point where, you know, we are, where we've had, your peak, more than 400 people working in the organization and it's a different game and you now have divisions set up and you have to be an inspirational leader internally for the company. You're, it's, it, it can be very lonely because you have to work with your board. You have to work with investors. You have to capitalize the business. You have executives. You have a broader team that's looking at you and trying to understand how your emotions work in the office and how that should play into how they evaluate where the business is headed. And it's about transparency of information. And then it's a then about being the face of the organization, right? Like going out and having conversations like this and telling the story and different media challenges that you have. I think every step of the way I've, I've continuously had challenges. And for me, you know, I think one of the things that, that, that I have found that's been a, a bit tough I've seen over the last several years is just such an information overload in terms of blogs and people sharing information that I've had a hard time dissecting what's self-promotion for marketing purposes versus what's, you know, sound advice for people that are actually going through, through this and and for real and, and having the battle every day what I have found to be the most important is to build my network of CEOs of people that like are going through it at the same time and finding folks that you know you can call and say hey I've got this challenge going on and you'd be surprised that someone else may have felt it too and they're like oh my gosh I just dealt with this definitely go talk to this person or definitely think about this when you're doing it. And it's really comforting because like I said, the CEO job can be incredibly lonely. It's not like there's a huge problem that comes up that you can go directly to your CFO or your COO or your CMO and say, Hey, how do we deal with this challenge right away? Like you don't know how people are going to react, but having that network around you, not even just mentors of just folks that are dealing with the same issues is, is, is enormously valuable. And the other thing that I would say, which I, which I challenge almost every person who's doing a startup to think about is bring in an executive coach. And I didn't believe that for the first couple of years, I really was like, yeah, you know, you learn like executive coaches, like how much fluff is out there, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is there, there are so many good people out there that have met and dealt with all different kinds of situations and entrepreneurs and leadership styles that, you know, having someone that you can go to and say, I don't have the answer for this. Can you help me? And even if they don't have the answer, they can at least walk you through and be that partner for you. They can spar with you on it. Hugely valuable. And then the, you know, the final thing and you asked like what resources Online I guess you can say, you know, a lot of VCs have great blogs. And I think, you know, some of the some of the ones that most people follow will share great information. I know people follow like Fred Wilson's blog or religiously or folks like Hunter Walk and people like that. Even Mark Sustru had mentioned, you know, they share all of these experiences as former operators and or career venture capitalists that can give you credible knowledge. But again, it's it's being able to go to people who are experiencing it firsthand just like you are to be able to navigate those things together you can't you know put a value on that so Mm -hmm. that's that's typically how I do it everyone's different but you know I wish I would have had an executive coach earlier I wish I would have thought about having more CEOs to reach out to earlier you'd be surprised as to how open people are I talk to people all the time even if we've never met because there's a it is a fraternity out there or you know fraternity sorority whatever you want to call it it's just like a club that you know you can relate to each other so much differently than you know someone who hasn't gone through the experience
0: definitely agree thanks so much for being generous with your time this has been a great great interview for everybody listening out there go check out make space be sure to use it and any final words any any final call to action or challenge that you would leave for our listeners
2: yeah i mean if you've ever had dreams of starting a business, you know even if it's not starting a business of just taking a risk, just do it. like life is short. and the value you're gonna get just from the learning experience, honestly, it, probably more than and you may not seem that way when you're going through it, but more than any monetary outcome that you could ever get. And I don't know what monetary outcomes that I have out of this, right? And I hope there's some because it all goes to my kids. I've lived a very humble life that never changed. That's never gonna change. But if I had to look back on my career and where I started in corporate and banking and venture capital and all these turns and and angles that I took, I wouldn't trade the last six years for anything because I've grown so so much as a person. I've met so many challenges that I never thought I'd even encounter. It's changed my perspective on life and how I am a father and the way I manage my time and the way I, you know, try to lead people around me. And quite frankly, the way I interact with people around me. And I think you can, you know, you don't have to necessarily go out and start a business to do that. It's just challenging yourself and and taking that risk and, you know, not falling into that trap of complacency because it feels like the right thing to do because you need stability you know find a way to really challenge yourself and i I think i would if i could tell myself that at at 23 starry eyed i I wish i would have listened to that more but you know it's something that i'm really grateful that i've been able to take advantage of now
0: i love it thanks everyone for listening and with that we will see you next time mission daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right.
1: Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.